politics without the soap opera with unfiltered constitutional conservative truth. The Conservative Review with Daniel Horowitz. And welcome back, fellow American patriots and Minutemen standing at the ready to fight anew for our life, liberty, and property here at CR Podcast. It is Friday. Your host, Daniel Horowitz, back in the house. June 30th, the month of June, came in like a lion for pride in sin and now going out like a lion for pride in liberty. What a way to usher in July, the month of liberty, the month of self-evident truths, of fundamental rights from nature's law, nature's God. And look, you know, obviously I always tell you guys how we can't sit there like the people playing the music on the deck of of the Titanic thinking, you know, everything is all fine. We're winning, drinking liberal tears when really they're still winning and they are winning. But certainly it is worth savoring the last two days at the Supreme Court. Uh, We'll go through the importance of some of these rulings, why they are still not self-executing, why we still need to do more. But it, again, gives us an opportunity because, remember, public opinion, it shouldn't, but it often follows Supreme Court rulings. That if the Supreme Court rules a certain way, it creates a momentum. That's what it did for Obergefell. Now we get our revenge back with religious liberty the other way. We need to take that momentum. Again, don't just dance around and be happy, think we defeated the left. It's great news, but exactly the point. What do you do with great news? You see how you could harness it because we can't afford to not fully maximize the gifts that God has given us. And I, th- I feel the last two days certainly are an example of that great time to be alive. Um, it really is. It really is. I am very happy with it. But And then I'm going to explain why my thesis on judicial supremacy still does hold true and why on net I still don't want to count on the courts and still we need to fight politically and why I would actually take a deal from the left if they were actually intellectually honest to diminish the role of the courts rather than uh, you know grow the role of the courts. So let's let's unpack this. There's a lot to do. Um, I'm going to work backwards just because it's fresh in my mind. Just happened an hour ago. We'll talk about today's cases, and then I want to go back to yesterday from some of the fallout of the affirmative action ruling. So basically, there's nothing novel about the three main victories in the Supreme Court. It's really, you know, you can't discriminate based on race. You can't force an individual to actively service something with their hands and creativity and speech that violates their religious conscience. And a president can't unilaterally forgive $400 billion in student loans without Congress. (laughs) Okay, so so nothing I said was very novel. That's the outcome of the three cases. That, you know, there's a couple more, but those are the main, main ones we'll talk about. And even if you're a flaming leftist and you want someone to service a gay wedding, you want, you know, Harvard to say we want more blacks than whites and discriminate against whites and Asians. You want student loans to be forgiven. Nobody could deny that legally this is the way it is unless you change, depending on the case, 
the statute or the Constitution. But unfortunately, we don't live in a country like that anymore. So the left, they believe if they will something, they will do it. It doesn't matter. The law is what I politically want to do. But again, these are not big cases. It's not like we we won, you know, when they overturn Obergefell, then I'll say, wow, that's that's impressive. There's nothing really impressive. And indeed, that's why all three cases were 6-3, meaning even Roberts joined fully in those uh, rulings. And, you know, obviously he wrote the student loan case, the majority opinion. So there's nothing real novel, but they were pretty categorical rulings, as categorical as you're going to ever get for our side. But nonetheless, I do want to warn you, there is never such a thing as a categorical victory where it's just self-executing, we can go home, we won, the fight's over. No, be happy, it's awesome. What a way to end this stupid debauchery month. Like, in your face. It started in June 2015 when they created a, a right to mandate that states redefine marriage. But now at least we got the revenge, at least on one of the consequences of Obergefell, which is bake the damn cake, and that's been reversed. So let's let's start with that case there. This is the Colorado case where this woman, who was a website designer, was being forced to design by you know Colorado, which has become crazy. This uh, three hundred three Creative LLC. That's the case. She was being forced by the state of Colorado to create and design websites for gay weddings. And it's, it, there wasn't a standard, obviously. It was u- unique. She makes a unique website for each thing. So, you know, she's like, I'm, I'm not doing it. Not that she said, oh, you engage in sodomy, so I am not making the website that I would make for everyone else. It's, no, I'm not going to make something uniquely promoting that behavior that violates my religious conscience. So, obviously, it was a six-to-three opinion uh, written by Gorsuch, very clear. There was no concurrences, meaning no one on the among the Republican appointees kind of either trying to water down the ruling with a concurrence or no one making it even stronger. Categorical, all six Republican appointees joined. Okay, so couple things here. Now, on the one hand, this is, again, pretty much as categorical as you're going to get. A couple years ago, you had the opinion from Anthony Kennedy on um, the Colorado Baker, where it was a pyrrhic victory. It was really a, a loss, where they said, well, it was only because the state really went after that guy in an obnoxious way. But generally speaking, the deduction from Kennedy's ruling was almost like, yeah, state could compel you as long as they kind of do it evenly. And that was a big problem. And that has unleashed this entire problem. To this day, uh, we have this problem, whether it's bakers and photographers and florists and all the accoutrements of wedding um, services. And it's not just for weddings, but again, private institutions and all sorts having to countenance the homosexual agenda. 
So this, no, it was straight up violates the First Amendment. You can't compel someone to offer a service that violates their First Amendment. Pretty much as categorical as, as it's going to get. So it's a great opinion. Great opinion. Now, where there is you know, a little bit of a potential shortcoming, I want to discuss in a moment. But first, I just want to talk about the, the left, the Sotomayor dissent. Just to understand the demonic construct of these people. So she tried to harness this notion of public accommodation laws. And we talked about this a lot during COVID. Like, well, what do you mean? States do have public accommodations that, that you have to offer certain things universally to, to everyone. And, and this is a big problem. So basically, people like Sotomayor believe that you could have entire monopolies of the most vital services that could collude together and with government to box out people from living a functional life unless they wear a mask or get a poison jab of a private Pfizer product. That's what we learned. That's what they told us. You could deny someone an organ transplant if they don't get a, a shot. You could deny a rape victim medical care if they don't cover their mouth. Even though you, the doctor, have the prerogative to wear the stupid thing if you think it stupidly works. That's what they believe. Yet somehow, they believe that you could take a mom-and-pop florist baker, web designer out of her home when there's a thousand others, frankly, 90% will probably give you a discount, a special homosexual discount because they love it so much. So just one person doesn't want to service that because it violates their religious conscience. No, you must do it. That's public accommodation. I'm just saying, I just want to point out, as much as it's a victory, the fact that all the Republican appointees ruled the right way and you know, these cases the last two days, it still is shocking that the left, and not just the leftist politicians, but judges that are supposedly just to rule based on the law, not what you want, they still believe in this. And you can't share a country with people like that, and in particularly, you can't really live in blue states in the long run with that mindset. So I want to discuss this case a little bit more, some of the others. But first, today, our show is sponsored by our friends at Jace Medical. As our government forces upon you dangerous products that you don't want, they are working directly and indirectly to create artificial shortages on medicines that you do need. A lot of people count on long-term daily, weekly prescriptions for uh, blood pressure, uh, diabetes, heart health, mental health. A lot of this stuff is already in shortage, and some of it's going to be you know, in shortage very soon. Jace Medical has what's called Jace Daily. You go to jacemedical.com, and you fill out, you give them all of your prescriptions. Let's say you have three regular prescriptions for various things. They will give you a backup supply for 12 months to give you that peace of mind that you are ready to go when you need it. Um. And really, all you have to do is just make sure you fill it out so you don't have contraindications. They have to give you a legal prescription. Enter code REVIEW at checkout, and boom, you have that peace of mind that you took your own 
health in your own hands and and don't wait until we have the next toilet paper shortage. So again, go to jacemedical.com, enter code review at checkout for a discount on your order. That's promo code review at jasemedical.com. So now, again, there's no flaw that I could see. I haven't had time to read the entire thing, but there's no flaw I could see in the ruling. It is categorical. It's not like Clarence Thomas had a concurrence uh, in this uh, 303 Creative LLC case, the Religious Liberty case. But I, I, I do just want to point out just, just one one line I saw there. And again, even then, it's not so much a flaw in the ruling, but in general, just the point is, I said this yesterday and I'm going to keep saying this. When you have red states pass a law or a policy against the left and the courts rule against it, boom, it's done. So marriage, Obergefell, marriage is not a marriage anymore. You have to give a license to whatever we say, boom, within hours, done. They didn't try, all right, well, in this case, but what about this case, right? They don't, they don't push back against it. And we accept it as the Supreme Court is, is the is the law. It's the law of the land. Now, I want to be clear. I am consistent in my view whether it's a ruling I like, don't like, ruling against the blue state, against the red state, against the feds. The Supreme Court is not the law of the land. The law of the land is statute pursuant to the Constitution when each one has properly exercised its authority. Now, what happens when there's a disagreement? Well, until the last couple generations, we, we had a limited amount of disagreements on fundamental rights, fundamental self-evident truths, a man being a woman. We didn't have this stuff. So it wasn't as relevant who decides. And the answer is, really nobody has final authority. The answer is, the Constitution decides. Well, what if there's a vehement disagreement? So then the answer is really everyone is free to exercise their powers as they see it fit. That's how Lincoln viewed it. So I always brought this up, for example, with um, immigration. Let's say the Supreme Court or a lower court says there's a right for Mohammed Atta from Somalia to immigrate. He has a fundamental right to immigrate. Well, it's not true. I mean, you're violating the provision of the INA pursuant to Congress's authority to regulate who comes into the country. Uh, you know, well, the court said otherwise. Well, does the court write visas? No, the executive branch does that. So if the executive branch believes they're the ones that are in the right, they they could say, well, hey, court, you go write, write a, a visa, print a visa. But you don't have that authority, so we're not going to do it. You, you could gum up the works. In other words, the courts have more authority like over criminal cases. In order to lock someone up, you need the court to convict someone. So a court could say, hey, I think the law you're using to lock the guy up violates First Amendment or whatever. It's unconstitutional. Now, you might disagree, but that, you see what I mean? That's a case where the court has more leverage. It depends on the case who has more leverage, who de facto becomes the final authority. That's the, way, that's the way the contract of the courts are, in my view. And the left, when it suits them, agrees with that. So that's why the left 
will keep gumming up the works. So what's the left going to say here? If you're in a blue state, are you free to push back with your property against the homosexual agenda and just, you know, just purely defensive mechanism, not be forced to service it? Not really. Well, Daniel, what do you mean? They said clearly that you can't compel someone to service something that violates their religious conscience, that violates the First Amendment. I mean, it's a pretty clear ruling from Gorsuch, right? Yeah, definitely. Definitely much better than any previous ruling. But it doesn't matter. It's not going to stop them from doing their stuff. And, you know, logically, you read the totality of the of the of the ruling, the obvious question anyone will be asking, well, Daniel, what about Barnell Stutzman, Arlene's, Arlene Flowers, the case in, in Indiana, right? Are, are you going to say the florist has to do flowers, the photographer, the baker? Well, you read the opinion, and if, this, if the shoe were on the other foot, it were right-wingers who wanted to take away that right, and it was a left-wing course did, did this. Yeah, it would fall in a second. All of that. But again, the left is like, all right, so this case of this web designer doesn't have to design this sort of website. But in every other case, they're going to continue to do the thing and play the catch me if you can, like we said yesterday. They're going to do that with... Um, Obviously, the Second Amendment, they're doing that. They're having all these places where you can't carry a gun, all these restrictions that you have to go through to get a license. All right, we'll grant you a license, but we'll make it hell. And I'll make you come back and fight us each time. That's what they do. And like we said with, you know, yesterday with discrimination, you know, Harvard said, all right, well, we could still find other ways. They basically said we could still find other ways to take into account someone's experience, you know, you write an essay on what it's like to be black. So the point is, they're going to keep doing this. And, and, and the main theme I just want to impart upon you today is that fundamentally, the harm that the federal courts are going to do against red states making re states red, good legislation, striking down good legislation in my view, is going to outweigh the benefit we might get from getting the courts to protect us from striking down bad things in blue states. Because fundamentally, if what you're hoping for living in a blue state is that, all right, I'm good to go because we have a better Supreme Court, I got news for you. In the long run, you will not be able to overcome political will of those states. I'm just telling you. That, that, that's just a reality. You're not going in the long run. It's not going to work. They're going to keep finding other ways to gum up the works. And then the lower courts. See, another thing that people need to understand is that another part of this is that let's say you have a Supreme Court rule, a certain ruling, have a certain precedent that is liberal, okay, that we don't like. So, so let me say, for example, the court ruled in Roper that you cannot give the death penalty for non-murder. So in other words, like we want to do like a child rapist, you can't do that. No lower court, even a, a right-wing appellate court, district court judge, is going to say, this is garbage, so therefore you, the state, could go ahead and do this. They're not going to do that. 
Okay, it would have to take the Supreme Court itself, and I have my doubts about it. So it makes it harder to get our cases before the Supreme Court because you don't usually get a circuit split to even get them to take it up. They, even the conservative judges, they are reluctant to rule the way they did even today. Now, if it's presented to them in an unambiguous case, they, there's no way they could get around it. And not just Kavanaugh and Barrett, but even, even um, Roberts ruled properly in all three cases because they couldn't avoid it. But the other way around, let's say there's a standing good precedent. How do you think it gets before the Supreme Court? Because lower courts, lower court liberal judges have no problem saying, screw that. Let's go back to gay marriage. The notion that a state cannot define marriages between a man and a woman is the most insane violation of precedent. And indeed, in the 1970s, there actually was a case. Originally, they tried to you know, say a state has to recognize it. It was, it was called Humphreys. Could look it up. I think it was a Minnesota case. And it was a 9-0 to zero opinion. That, that No, I mean, of course states could, could determine marriage as a marriage. Obergefell overturned that. As Ken Cuccinelli always says, he believes that is the only case where the Supreme Court has ever overturned a 9-0 to, to zero opinion. But how do you think we got to that? It didn't start with Obergefell. It went to the district and appellate courts, and 90% of them voted to overturn marriage, even though it violated 200 years of history and Supreme Court precedent. They, they have no problem doing it. In other words, the point I want to impart upon you is, as much as this is good news... The left always has first and goal at our one yard line and not four downs. They have an unlimited amount of tries. They only have to win once, and once they win, that's precedent. We have to constantly hold it back. We have to constantly fight. So that's the point I just wanted to impart upon you, and it is hinted to a little bit in this, this um, opinion on page 21 Page 21 of Gorsuch's opinion in Creative LLC, 303 Creative LLC, the religious liberty case. It's the part where he's defending against Sotomayor's dissent. And he says, instead of addressing the party's stipulations about the case actually before us, the, the, the dissent spends much of its time adrift on a sea of hypotheticals about photographers, stationers, and others asking if they too provide expressive services covered by the First Amendment. But those cases are not this case. Doubtless, determining what qualifies as expressive activity protected by the First Amendment can sometimes raise difficult questions. But this case presents no complication of that kind. The parties have stipulated that Ms. Smith seeks to engage in expressive activity. And the 10th Circuit, that's the circuit that this case came from, has recognized her services involve pure speech. Nothing the dissent says can alter this, nor can it displace the First Amendment protections that follow. So I, I, I just, I haven't read the whole opinion, but if you notice what, what, what bothers me a little bit is in order to defend against them, they're like, 
they always make it as narrow as possible. And I have no problem with that because, again, you rule on a specific case. And their point is, Gorsuch is like, don't throw at me the photographer, the baker, this and that. This is a case where it's a creative website. You're putting your stuff on the web. That is, everyone agrees, it's pure speech. It's pure creative expression. And that's covered by the First Amendment. Now, it doesn't mean that every case of a florist, a photographer, and a baker won't also be covered according to Gorsuch. But you could understand that this is exactly the window that the left-wing lawyers, you know, and the left-wing blue states, they're going to continue banging away at this. So they're going to find ways to say, all right, fine. Well, maybe this is more speech. You're putting up a website, but, you know, you're just taking a picture. You're just arranging flowers at a, at a wedding. Why can't you do that? There, you know what I'm saying? I, 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 if I'm a left-wing lawyer, what I would say is, let's say you have a florist case. I would say, look, here you're actually putting up a website promoting gay marriage, whereas here you're just showing up to a ceremony. What do you care if it's two men or a man and a woman? And you're arranging whatever flowers you would arrange. It's the same thing you would do anywhere else. Now, obviously, the answer is to that, to that is no. You can never force a person to engage in involuntary servitude to service something that violates their conscience. It, it's not just... um. First Amendment and expression of speech, but as Madison wrote in his essay on conscience uh, and on, on property rights, conscience is the most sacred of property. Okay, conscience is really born out of the ultimate property rights because it's with your own hands. I, I would have liked a little bit more language on that, but again, they don't like to do that. They like to rule on what's in front of them, and I understand that, but this is why I'm, I'm just saying. People on our side are dancing around, you know, like Leon Lett with the suit with in the Super Bowl with the football before you're in the end zone. Bake the cake is dead. I mean, it should be dead, but the left in the blue states are not going to stop with this. So, what I would still like to see is I would like for every red state, the ones that haven't done it until now, the next legislative session, we need a categorical rifra that nobody ever has to service something that violates their religious conscience. Period. Done. And and uh, because don't tell me that runs amok what we're trying to do with vaccines because n- no hospital could say it violates my religious conscience to give you a a um Uh, an organ transplant surgery because you're not getting a vaccine. You're bothered by their political view on it. You're bothered by their medical view. And some are actually, they're the ones asserting religious. They have religious. There's no religious. Now, I would argue there is a religious objection because the vaccine is a religion. but, But you get the point, right? Two things are true at the same time. That we need to evenly apply public accommodation laws, discrimination laws, and at the same time, we need to evenly apply religious conscience. The two are, they, they, they're working together. But I would like to see that. That would, for, and, and then the left will take it to the courts, and that will force it to expeditiously get even more categorical. Because I'm telling you, if you allow this to fester long enough, 
the blue states are going to chip away and we're going to continue to have problems for years where people won't get redress. So I think this is this is a really, really important part of this. This is really, really, really important that we need to, you know, not just take this ruling as is because we don't get rulings like that. The other important action item is we need to go for the glory and and overturn Obergefell completely. Now, I know Matt Staver at Liberty Council is working on this, has some cases that could be right before the Supreme Court. But that's what we need to do. We need to set up direct challenges in red states to Obergefell itself. That's my point. I'm not trying to throw a cold water. I'm, I'm happy. What I'm saying is we are so behind. You know, you, you know, it's like if you're behind eight points in a game in the last play of the game and you score a touchdown, that's great. But you're going to come up short. You need to go for the two-point conversion, right? You need to go for everything you can get. We are so behind. We need to, you know, see, my, our side loves Supreme Court rulings the same way they love elections because they don't have to do anything. You just, oh, it just, just gets done. They don't have to do the cultural work, the legislative work, but you got to do it. You got to do it. It's not going to stand on its own. Now, we need these protections in blue states too. They're just not going to get passed. So I'm just telling you, in the long run, you can't rely on, on this helping you the same way you can't rely on it with the discrimination. So, for example, I'm just going to tell you, they're going to keep discriminating against you in all these other spheres. And I, and I want to go back to, with that, with this theme, I want to go back to the college admissions. So everyone's like, affirmative action is dead. Well, not really. It's the direct form of of admissions discrimination is dead, but even on admissions, they're going to find clever ways to get around it in the blue states. I'm just saying you're, you're never going to get around it. But I want to draw attention to two important action items. Again, it was a good ruling. I'm not complaining about it. But at the end of the day, at the end of the day, it's not self-executing. Based on that ruling, all affirmative action should be dead. By the way, both public and even private. See, it's University of North Carolina, but the other case was Harvard. Harvard's a private institution. Now, I want to be very clear here. Ideally, I do believe in the concept of private institutions should be allowed to discriminate. Ideally. We've said this many times. But the ship has sailed numerous times. And because we do have Title VI and Title VII of the Civil Rights Act and many, many other anti-discrimination laws and there's no path to repealing them, they're as enshrined as the Constitution itself, then I do believe we need to apply it evenly. And that's why we need to go, starting with public, but I, I, I wouldn't even mind some p private laws, banning race-based stuff in all areas, particularly healthcare, employment. Employment's the big one. And the, the reality is, if this were the way the Republicans view the courts, affirmative action would be dead. But no, 
it is alive in all other places. And they're going to take us to court, play a game of catch me if you can, force us to take them to court with each one. So here's the deal. Let's talk about federal first. Every asp, every department of our government is riddled with race-based discrimination that will not change on its own after this court ruling, even though it should. Take the Small Business Administration. We shouldn't even have that. Why do we even have that at a federal level? It's insane. It's a cabinet-level department. It's built upon shoveling subsidies based on skin color to owners. They have all these minority business owner programs. All those things need to be done with. You go to HUD, housing and mortgage policies full of race-based mandates. There's a 2006, very old, but it's relevant even more today, Congressional Research Service CRS report. They put it very well. Goals or set-asides, that's what they call them. Goals or set-asides for minority groups, women, and other disadvantaged individuals have also been routinely included in federal funding measures for education, defense, transportation, and other activities over much of the last two decades. And certainly since 2006, I mean, it's gotten a lot worse. And I think that's a good way of putting it. Republicans won't do this, but they should do this. Boyoed by the momentum of the court ruling, which does help public opinion, which was already strong on this, they need to defund, not just DEI. DEI is like a program where it's like, you know, you promote this and that. It could lead to affirmative action. But I'm talking about directly where they have subsidy programs based on how you're hiring based on race. All of that needs to be extirpated from our government. I, I, look, I, I gave an example. HHS has something called the Office of Minority Health. What the hell? All of that is unconstitutional. How could the government say, I'm going to focus? Now, you could say, this is a problem. There are people in need of a certain thing, and, and I will service that need. And if it happens to be 80%, 90% are black, that's fine. I mean, the same way in reverse, if it happens to be that 90% of people who achieve excellence in a certain thing are white, so be it. If it happens to be that disproportionate amount of black people are in jail, so be it. That's because they committed a disproportionate amount of crime. Right? So I don't care if a subsidy program ultimately will go more to blacks. Now, you might not believe in welfare or certain things the government should get involved in, and that's fine. But if you're going to have it, I don't have a problem if you say, hey, we believe this is a particular health problem, and it happens to be most blacks are the ones who utilize it. Fine. But you can't have a program that you are writing it into law that is directed towards a race. You direct it towards the problem. So that needs to be at a federal level. But then there's the state level. We're trying to say, ha, 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 Harvard and Massachusetts can't do this. And mind you, they're going to do it left and right. But we haven't even rectified the problem in red states. You have this all over in red states. They're still doing it even with admissions, with law school, with medical school, private and public. But even at a public level, you have state-based countenance of race, indulgence of race in subsidies, in business programs, in education, in healthcare, you, you name it. Only eight states 
Florida, I know, is one of them. It's actually Jeb Bush who did it. Bans state-based affirmative action. Not private, by the way. Based on the Supreme Court ruling, it should be unconstitutional, even private in some circumstances. But, but, um, but at least you know the government cannot engage in affirmative action. Some states had a ballot initiative, like I know Oklahoma recently passed a referendum on that. New Hampshire, I think, passed uh, this past session. A couple other states, uh, trying to just think of maybe Arizona has. Offhand, uh, Michigan has. Uh, they're trying to gut it. Washington State, believe it or not, had, but they repealed it, of course, when they became wacko. So there's only eight states that have that. Last session, dear friend of mine, Arkansas State Senator Dan Sullivan, he wrote Senate Bill 71. And basically, it was a very simple bill. It wasn't like even that broad. It was only public sector, so not private. And even within the public sector, it was basically that you cannot you know, give preferential treatment based on race, sex, ethnicity, or national origin within the realm of procurement, hiring, and education. So in other words, that wouldn't even uh, um, prohibit like minority-based public health programs or minority business owner, you know, the, the state of Arkansas helping minority business businesses more than any other business. It was procurement, hiring, and education. It passed 18 to 12 in the Senate, which is too narrow because a ton of, ton of Republicans voted against it, but failed 27 to 51, so two to one against it in the House. Republicans have a 29 to 6 majority in the Arkansas Senate and an 82 to 18 majority in the House. Yet only 27 of the 82 Republicans voted for this. And kind of like with Christy Nome, Governor Huckabee Sanders was silent the entire time, would not help with the bill. So again, like all my colleagues are drink the liberal tears. And look, I'm in a good mood. I think this is a great two days. But use it. Use the momentum. Not just legally, but the political momentum that it inevitably creates to codify it and go further in statute, certainly where you have power right now. So we need a bill like this, and even stronger, in every red state. That's an action item for our Liberty Strike Force teams. And by the way, if you want to join one in a red state, conaction.network, this is the type of thing that we need to do. What is it we want to accomplish? I don't just want to like report on liberals having a meltdown from the Supreme Court ruling. I want to actually connect great day let's make it better and red state governments also need to create enforcement mechanisms to ensure that universities aren't using these backdoor channels to discriminate see the supreme court can't really do that like there's no way of knowing if they have other ways of finding out oh write an essay and oh you're black okay well but state governments could really get involved in that and and they need to be doing that And of course, House Republicans at a federal level need to defund all offices and programs directing favoritism towards any group primarily based on race. You know what's interesting? Michelle Obama put out a statement yesterday, presumably decrying the ruling, but you read the beginning of it and it almost sounds like she's agreeing with it. There's no self-awareness. 
And she basically complained that when she was in Princeton, there was always a constant shadow that students like me couldn't shake. She called affirmative action a shadow you couldn't shake, that basically that everyone would look at them and always wonder if they were there based on merit or there based on affirmative action. And I was thinking, like, you're exactly right. That's that's one of the major problems with it. That aside from it being fundamentally unfair, anytime someone sees, you know, a black person in medical school or whatever, unfortunately, they're going to have to wonder that. Because if they're white, you know it had to be based on merit because there's no way to get in uh, based on, you know, whiteness. That's for sure. It's the opposite. But if you're black, you know, some might be awesome, but a certain percentage will be from a cohort that doesn't perform as well, but was elevated based on race. And it's bad for them as much as it is for whites. As Clarence Thomas said, affirmative action locks blacks into a seemingly perpetual inferior caste. It's an insult to individual achievement and cancerous to young minds seeking to push through barriers rather than cosign themselves to permanent victimhood. Man, I mean, Clarence is just like, he is up there with the founders. But it's that sentiment that, this is what bothers me. Like, we've never had so much momentum behind an issue like this. It's indefensible. The left is crushed on this. But it won't be self-executing. There's still systemic racism rooted in every area of culture, law, and policy. Even in red states to a large extent. So in addition to obviously you're going to have, you know, the legal organizations that are working to constantly build upon this opinion to go after other things. We also need a political strategy side by side as well. And this leads me to just kind of one of the final points. Fundamentally, this is where it's at, making red states red again. You're not, you cannot count on living in a blue state and having the courts protect you. I'm just going to tell you. One of the things I see happening is, so the left had this. They also had the student loan case where it was six to three that struck down the 400 billion student loan forgiveness. The left is going to build momentum at some point to say, we need to expand the Supreme Court. We need to dilute its power. We need to strip them of jurisdiction. The things that I've, I've been calling for for years. Now, obviously, you know, the Supreme Court has the right to rule on these things. I just disagree that they're the final word on any way, but they ruled correctly. But if we're going to disagree so much, I'm just going to tell you the court system is still going to be more of a sword then it is a shield for us. And the reason is because when they're a sword, they crush us. When they're a shield, it's very tenuous. And the bottom line is, can you tell me, Daniel, religious liberty and liberty in general is preserved in blue states? No, no, it's just not. Instead, we need to go to red states and protect ourselves from them polluting our states. But they're doing it. And because of the aggressiveness of lower court liberal judges versus the conservative judges and how long it even takes to get before the Supreme Court, and even when they rule, sometimes, you know, again, we're not winning on every case there. We're winning more than we've ever won, but it's still we have bad rulings like we talk about. 
all the tranny stuff is getting blown up. You had an Obama-appointed judge struck down Arkansas's ban on, on castration for minors, HB 1570. You have, in Florida, a federal judge said you have to cover Medicaid. Medicaid has to, state-based Medicaid has to cover, you know, the hormones and castration. Can you imagine that? You don't have a right to be let alone from a medical procedure, but you have the right to castration and to taxpayer funding of it. Again, you can't share a country with retards like this. And then a Montana judge said that the health department is in contempt for not labeling birth certificates in accordance with tra- transgenderism. So this is this is all over the place. And then you have another Trump-appointed judge. So we already had the Trump-appointed judge in Tennessee who ruled that you can't ban drag shows. You have a federal judge in Indiana. I missed this. Like This happened maybe a week or two ago. James Patrick Hanlon blocked Indiana's ban on puberty blockers and hormone treatments for minors. So... These are Trump-appointed judges also joining in on this. We now have two of them. I mean, they're different cases. So you're going to have years' worth of this stain continuing in red states as it winds through the lower courts. And, you know, I can't count on having enough votes necessarily to take it up expeditiously because sometimes they're reluctant to rule on it. And even if they do, could I promise you we have five votes on this stuff? I mean, especially the drag shows, I could picture Gorsuch saying you have a First Amendment right to it. I don't know. I'm just saying, even, we we are literally the best we've ever been with the Supreme Court. But even at this peak, I will tell you, if the left were to come to us and say, oh, down with judicial supremacists, it's funny watching them say it. I think, I, I, I think we'd be stupid not to go over to them and say, all right, do you want to cut a deal? You take away your cases, we take away our cases. I'll trade you the Harvard case because, because anyway, they're going to do it. I'm just saying, Really? Do we even want to go to these universities? They're going to they're gonna find so many ways to discriminate and indoctrinate anyway. In other words, what I'm trying to say is this. We're trying to protect our own Noah's Ark and we're failing to do it. You think somehow you're going to radiate out truth and justice and righteousness to their Ark and use the courts to do it? No. In the long run, we'd be stupid not to take a grand bargain like that. Even though we're right, and the court's right to rule that way, and they're wrong, but they're going to violate your rights anyway. Otherwise, they're going to create phantom rights to their debauchery in red states and stop us from doing anything we want on on immigration for sure. I'm convinced of it. I don't think we have five votes to do certainly not everything we want to do with state-based enforcement. I could picture them saying you're preempted by the federal government. 
Not that they're agreeing with open borders, but they're just say a state doesn't have the authority to do it. I could really picture Kavanaugh and Barrett saying that. I think Gorsuch would probably actually be good on that. But, and Roberts for sure would be bad on it. He already is. So I'm just going to tell you, even with this, I would rather trade, because I, I want to make it very clear. So there's two cases. There's one you're going on judicial offense and judicial defense. Well, Daniel, you just benefited from judicial supremacism, meaning achieving things you couldn't achieve politically, right? You couldn't get, you know, politically uh, a law passed in Massachusetts to stop Harvard from doing that, you achieved in the courts. But I will tell you, not really, because even that is because of the courts itself. It's the courts merely cleaning up the mess. For example, is Dobbs judicial activism? No, Jobs, Dobbs is cleaning up Roe, which was judicial activism, taking it away from the popular public, you know, the, the, the political branches. Same thing here. Bake the cake is a legacy of Obergefell. Without Obergefell, you don't have that. Obergefell takes it away from the states. So it's like, hey, buddy, you're like, Daniel, this is terrible what the court did. You're right. The court shouldn't be involved. Fine. Then Obergefell falls. You see, you see the game. And even with, with uh, the case of Harvard and UNC with, with race-based admissions, a lot of affirmative action was built by the courts, mandating it in many ways for many decades. It's not exclusively the courts, but I'm just saying a lot of that is still... And, and look, the case of student loans... Yeah, I guess we achieved that with the courts, but that wasn't striking down a statute. I mean, that was Biden doing something unilaterally. Basically, creating $400 billion without Congress. There's no way he could do that. But I'm just going to tell you, the ability of the courts to do good for us will never be as good as the ability of the courts to do bad for us. So if they want to say we want to de-emphasize the judicial power and we feel that strong political questions shouldn't be decided by the courts even when they're right and the constitution is ambiguous honestly if that is the route they want to take i would be willing to say all right you want to weaken their power fine but it's got to apply evenly the problem i have is the way we are right now whereas when they win something it's like no matter how indefensible the ruling is and how destructive it is, it's done. It's 100% law of the land. And when we win something, no matter how clear it is, it's like, no, they, they keep coming back for more. In other words, if you're, if you're hoping that you can get into an 80-20 blue area where the people are demonic, they're, they're not even communist. They're transhuman demons. If you think the court could hold back that gushing flow, could be that dike in the water, it's just not going to happen. I, I think we all agree you got to evacuate from blue America anyway and make red America really what it should be. So if that is your agenda, which is my agenda, on net, the courts are going to be more of a problem. Again, I'm not decrying the rulings. They're, they're great. If we have judicial supremacism, I have no problem abiding by it. And again, judicial supremacism doesn't mean if you're Clarence Thomas and you have a case come in front of you, you're allowed to say what you believe the Constitution says. It's more the way everyone else regards it. 
if you, if the other branches are firm in their belief that the, they they got it wrong, they have the ability to use their powers to brush up against it. So if the if the blue states want to do that, which they do, then I want to do it too. I mean, I admire the left. I admire them. Biden got up there and said he gave a speech. He's like, you know, we cannot let this decision be the last word. Meanwhile, the courts get up there. Marriage is not a marriage. Done. Okay? And our side's like, it's the law of the land. That's That imbalance is what we can't have. So if they're going to get up there to our decisions and say, we cannot let this decision be the last word, but at the same time posit to weaken the judicial authority, I'll tell them, all right, then we'll weaken the judicial authority to what it really should be. And you're right, it won't be the last word, but your opinions won't be the last word either. And that includes certainly your stupid lower court judges that continue to screw with red states. I know it's a novel view that you're not going to hear elsewhere and, and my colleagues will disagree with me. But I would rather... They're like, it's terrible! They want to undermine the independence of the Supreme Court. It's like... The problem is not that they want to undermine the independence of the Supreme Court. The problem is that they believe in what they believe in. They don't believe in the Constitution. In this case, it happens to be the court got the Constitution right. But it's not because the court said it. They believe in racial discrimination. They believe in fundamental rights flipped upside down, inside out. They believe in state and federal powers uh, flipped upside down, inside out. Up, that's the problem. It's not that they believe that, oh, it's terrible that they don't believe the court should be the final word. We shouldn't either. Inherently, the Constitution is the final word. Now, if you want to make a case that you believe the Constitution is different than what the court said, then make the case. But if it's just you don't like the opinion, but you agree that's what the Constitution says, then of course it's the final word. It's constitutional supremacy. That's the important point here. That's, that's where we need to go with this. So yes, this has been a great day, a great two days. But A, don't just you know sit there and do nothing. Use that momentum. Codify some of this. See, the Constitution is a Constitution, but the body politic views the Constitution as what the court says. So use that to your advantages. Well, you see, the Constitution now says race-based, anything racial preferences are unconstitutional. We have to defund it in our government. It's unconstitutional. And red states have a free reign on all this stuff. All this stuff. I would like to see red states extirpate the stain of inequality from our our law, culture, and everything. Now, next week, obviously, is July 4th itself. It's Tuesday, so we'll be off. Monday, we're going to run our annual special July 4th. Uh, we have a couple of them, so we're going to run the one just from a year ago, which is still as relevant. Um, I'll have a kind of a fresh introduction to it. Uh, but I just want to end today in that vein, in that spirit of you know, what we just talked about. So Biden said the court ruling shouldn't be the final word. And like I said, I agree with him in the sense that the courts aren't the final word. And I agree with him that it shouldn't be the final word. It's just the beginning. We need to 
root out all forms of affirmative action. He's right. But one area where I want to be very clear, when he says the court is not the final, uh, final say, he's right. But the Declaration of Independence is final. Constitutions could change if you change them properly. Statutes could change. The self-evident truths of the Declaration do not change. You see, the left believes in a degree of super-equality they call equity, which is in fact the ultimate form of inequality. Coolidge warned in his famous July 4th speech on the 150th anniversary, and it was, yeah, 150th, 1926, no advance, no progress can be made beyond these propositions of the Declaration, meaning. If anyone wishes to deny their truth or their soundness, the only direction in which he can proceed historically is not forward, but backward, toward the time when there was no equality, no rights of the individual, no rule of the people. If all men are created equal, that is final. If they are endowed with inalienable rights, that is final. If governments derive their just powers from the consent of the governed, that is final. You can never progress from that. You can only regress. And that is still with us today. Don't accept mediocrity. Don't have low expectations. Let's fight to fully restore life, liberty, property, consent on each front where we have the ability to still do it before it's too late. Hope you guys have a terrific weekend. We'll be back again halfway in spirit on Monday. Hope you guys have a terrific July 4th. Till next week, God bless y'all, and thank you for listening.